Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. What up? Nicole and I went to Magnolia Silos and Market this past weekend, and we just, uh, Chip and Joe wanted for us to tell Upper Room hello. They miss you guys, um, and they just want to say hi to you, Chip and Joanna Gaines. So, so anyway, for, that, for what that's worth. No, uh, we had a great time. Thankful to be back. It was a quick, like, 40-hour trip for us. Um, so and we're excited. This week, we're going to Upper Room Dallas and uh, going to hang out with some cool people there. You're going to? The other upper room. The other upper. We're going to go to the other upper room this coming week. So, hey, we've been on a series called Real Talk, and uh, uh, we, we are going to expedite this message just a little bit. Uh, there's a special day today. Caleb Haas gets his Eagle Scout today. He's gone. I was going to have him try out a speech on everybody today. But anyway, he's got to give a speech t- tonight. But uh, we're excited. So Josh has to leave no matter what at 1230. Everybody say, amen, early service. Woo, praise Jesus, glory to God, hallelujah. So anyway, Josh might move himself off the stage if Nicole gets long-winded today. We know she has that potential. All right, so real talk. Let's get into it. We're just going to go straight there. Uh, the good news is I'm sitting next to him, so if he starts talking too long, I can just go. <laughs> it's kind of like in St. Lucia or a lot of other countries when you drive, though. There's like this horn language that I don't get. It's like how many beeps or this or that. So sometimes she'll be tapping me. I'm like, oh, that's really good. I need to keep going. And she'll be like, like I don't know what that means. You need to just tell me. I don't know. Whisper in my ear. So real talk, uh, we're getting into this thing. Um, it's week three. We started off with, honestly, the, the church, religion. You know, we, we're trying to talk about social, cultural issues, misconceptions. Uh, basically, uh, people, society has questions, and we want to give the answers. We don't want culture to influence us. We want to influence culture. So we're trying our very best to, to really give the answers to what difficult uh, things are being asked and th- happening right now in society and culture. So we started with the church religion last week. Uh, we talked about why do g- bad things happen to good people and healing in the supernatural. Ooh, a scary word. So anyways, you can catch those. Today we're going to go and we're going to start and we're going to open up this large can of worms called sexuality. Then at the beginning of the year, we're going to branch it off and we're going to talk about homosexuality, pornography, lust, singleness, these different things that we're going to really enhance and go deeper on. So we figure we wouldn't super offend you yet, so you stay through Christmas, and then we'll really offend you after Christmas. So... No, here's the deal. We don't have all the answers. We don't know all the answers. We're no one up here with a microphone ever has all the answers. You can't put us on a pedestal. You can't expect us to give you all the information all the time. We're really basing this series from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. You can look that up on your own. We talked about it the first week. There's all this chaos going on. There's all these political issues going on. There's all this division going on. It's nothing new. If you see what Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, it's nothing new. But he then would write instructions and write to the church. And that's kind of what we're doing. And then it has this verse in there that talks about presenting the truth in love. That's what we want to do. Our prayer throughout this whole series, whether and including up to next week and then again at the beginning of the year, is that Holy Spirit himself will invite people into an encounter to, to really experience the Father's love rather than condemning, judging, getting mad, and dividing over this. 
Listen, today's topic, sexuality in itself, denominations have, have split over this. Churches have divided over this. That's silliness. We never want to see that happen in the kingdom of God, but we believe it's an opportunity for an invitation. So our desire is honestly through Ephesians 4 is to equip the body with the truth and love so that we can influence culture and provide some of the answers and love the people around us, even if they disagree with us. So I have a, a scripture. Before we even dive in to this very far, I want to talk about something that um, I think is really important as we go into these things. This is Acts 17, verses 10 through 12. This is uh, the Apostle Paul talking. It says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. The point I want to point out in this is there was this group called the Bereans that were very much into examining the scriptures to find truth. So as we present truth, as we understand it, it is still your responsibility to go back and check what we're saying in the scriptures. We are not God's ultimate standard of authority um, for what, what scripture is saying. You have a responsibility to go back and check these things out. And, um, you know, as, as you're doing this, I think that the point is you're not doing this out of a, a mindset to try to contradict. You're about doing this out of a mindset to try to learn. And so if you'll take what we say with this or any other sermon that we present, if you take what we say and you'll go back for yourself and see, is that what the scripture is actually saying? Is that what God is saying? Um, I think you're going you're gonna to connect a lot better with this because we're not trying to tell you what to believe. We're telling you what our interpretation of the scriptures are as we go through this. Now, with that, though, we're not also shying away. We're not going to just um, try to escape and be silent. Um, so we are going to take a stance on some of this. We're going to courageously do that. Um, but we love you. And, uh, and we hope, again, this invites you in rather than pushes anyone out. That's, I believe this. Darkness is never the issue. It's the lack of light. And what does light look like penetrating darkness? And what does light look like affecting the darkness versus the darkness affecting the light? Like we need to let our light shine. What does love look like? Love actually looks like something. It looks like honor. It looks like celebrating who God's created people to be, even in our differences. Love even looks like unity, you know? So what does Christ alive look like in us? It looks like him loving the people just as he did on the earth in the New Testament. So let's get into the sexuality. Uh, we had a conviction to tell you what sexuality is and define that through um, really what we feel the word is saying, what we feel God's intention for sexuality is, rather than going down each of these things of what it isn't or what it's perverted to become. So we really wanted to just start here, give a framework, entice you a little bit, make you hungry, make you come back at the beginning of the year, and, uh, and really kind of go after this. So we really want to just spend today defining what sexuality is, talking about what cultures made it into, and even the historical theologians of what we've adopted from the church to make it weird and icky, and all these things, and just so you know, I, I think there's still a few kids in here, I'm pretty sure we're around PG to PG-13 today, so just so you know that, if that gives you a kind of a range of where your children are, so we don't, I don't, we don't cross into R, do we? No. I sometimes do, my language is bad, I, my kids, <laughs> I say cuss words that are like definition, define cuss words with my kids, um, crap is a bad one, that's like, dad said crap or stupid, so, <laughs> sorry. 
All right, so here's the deal. A lot of times we've formed, um, sexuality is, is really, it's intimacy, it's relational, it's connection. It's a beautiful thing that the Lord created. It is not dialed down and really honestly dumbed down to just an act of sex. If we define, if we just say sexuality comes down to the act of sex, then that eliminates a whole lot of potential, a whole lot of beauty of it, a whole lot of purpose, and a whole lot of us. So there's a range of people in here from single to married to widowed to divorced. And, and we believe that all of us are, are we're created to be sexual beings, but we're not always having sex. So here's the deal. The thing is, it's, a, it's really a beautiful thing that God created us to be uh, with sexuality, with these differences. And we're going to get to the word here in a moment. And, and here's the deal, though. A lot of times trauma, our experiences, what we've been exposed to, maybe molestation, rape, hurtful things, a lot of these things, or a perception, or a lack of, of affection, or these things define, and suddenly they become experiences that form our beliefs that lead to our actions. So a lot of times we're avoiding this or we're avoiding um, attraction to somebody else because something hurtful has happened. A lot of times father wounds will would create a thing where now I know I'll say I'll never be with, a, with another person. Or I'll never be with this or I'll never do that or, or a lot of times. So a lot of times he's trauma. So here's, here's what Proverbs 1 says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here's what we believe. A lot of times when we bring the word, the clarity of the truth of what God's saying, it removes the fear. So that's kind of the goal of today is like, let's give the information, let's give the truth of what the word says, and let's define it. So I believe that the Trinity is expe expressed in family. I believe the father, mother, the way God designed it, father, mother, child, it expresses the beauty of the Trinity of the differences of father, son, Holy Spirit. It's kind of like us today, like good portrayal of that. Who's father, who's son, who's Holy Spirit? Let's define it for everybody right now. I'm Jesus. <laughs> Fine, I'll be God. No. <laughs> Should be Holy Spirit. No, totally kidding. We can't take that place. We'll talk about that in a moment. So I know Josh has something on this. Yeah, I want to mention, um, let me pull another scripture out here. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit, soul, and body is what I want to pull out of that. We are created also as human beings. We're three-part beings. Now, you can't cut us up into pieces and, and pull those, those pieces apart like that. But we are three, three parts to us. When it relates to sexuality or anything else, all three of those things are impacted. Okay? So when we're dealing with things in the world, the world can look at the physical, what happens physically to us, the body. And the world can also even look a little bit about the soul, what's happening emotionally, what, what's happening that. But where the world can't talk about is the spirit. You can't go to a, a high school sex ed, sex ed class in a public school and learn about what's happening spiritually. So that's where the, the church has an advantage that we can actually talk about this kind of thing and actually address the full human, what's, what's completely happening. You can't affect one of those things in, in us without affecting the other two. If I get in a car accident, there's a good chance I'm going to carry some depression afterwards because of the injury. It just affects me. It affects me spiritually as well. If somebody is, is, um, goes through, um, they lose their, their job or something, oftentimes they carry that into the physical. They're, you feel achy. You feel unmotivated, sore, that kind of thing. 
So one of the things that we want to bring into this, and one of the reasons we feel like it's important that the church have a voice on this, is because we have the right and the responsibility to talk to an area that really nobody else can talk about. It's, it's pretty amazing that, like Josh has said, that there's three parts to every relationship, passion, intimacy, and commitment, covenant. And I believe that's the way God designed us. So sexuality is more than just a, a, a small piece. It's actually our being. It's part of who we are. It's, it's almost like comparable to like personality. It's what makes us. And each part's a little different. Each person's a little different. And um, so let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the way God designed it. Let's go back to, to what his intentions are. So Genesis 1, and we're going to talk about 27 and 28. So Genesis 1. Uh, I find it interesting that this was the, one of the first things in 28, first things God spoke to man. It was the first instruction he had ever given uh, to the earth, to man. So here's where it says 27. It says this. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. We were created in the image of God. Now, here's the beautiful thing about God is he has the portrayal and, and contains everything so masculine and feminine, he's able to meet our need in every realm. So he's able, if we're, if we're lacking affirmation, he provides that. If we need guidance, he provides that. If we need a friend, he provides that. If we need nurturing, he provides that. If he needs a father's acceptance, he provides that. So, but we're created in his image, but he is so good. It took two of us to represent the two main components of him, masculine and feminine. So he's so good. He created us in his image, but it took two of us to even represent him. So that's part of who we are. We're different. We're wired different. And we're masculine and feminine, just like the traits that God himself altogether has. So then it goes on to say this, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything else. So here's the deal. We're going to just focus on that, that first part of 28. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. So the first thing he's saying, be intimate with one another, have sex, be reproduce, fill the earth. He's saying these things. Now, I don't want us just to hone in and just say, well, that was only through having babies as a married couple. No, we do have this belief. So we've kind of narrowed down this definition of what we feel sexuality is. And um, I had a good friend preach us. Uh, he's like, hey, Aaron, just met with him last week. He said, hey, what are you into right now? I said, we're getting ready to do this series. I'm getting ready to break out the can of sexuality. Dude, I just did a whole four-week thing on it in September. I was like, okay, I'm going to listen to it. So some of this is just absolutely stolen, okay? Not going to lie. But we formed this, this definition. It says this. Here's what I would define sexuality as. It's walking in your divine design, your identity that God gave you. Walking in your divine design, participating in the life-giving generational love of God. That's sexuality. It's, it's get, having this gift to be able to reproduce who God is in us, and partnering with that, walking out in the divine design, the, the identity that God gave each of us. I know you had something beautiful at first service. I was getting ready to say this, but I think that, first of all, like, and I know he already mentioned it, but like, this is a pertinent topic to dating, engaged, singles, widows. I mean, this is a pertinent topic for, for those of us who aren't married, right? Because, here's the thing, this definition here tells us that my divine design is when I'm participating in the life-giving generational love of God. I don't know and I can't understand what the love of God looks like if I'm not in intimacy with him. And 
out of my intimacy with him comes this opportunity for me to demonstrate the love of God. And in that, I'm reproducing souls. People are coming to Christ. Like the kingdom is advancing because that's what's being reproduced. Isn't that good? That is so good because for so long, singles or those who aren't married or those who are looking to be married, it, it's all about the sexual piece that they don't get to participate in. And that is, it, it makes me so excited to think about this opportunity that I get to actually be intimate with him and I'm getting to participate in reproduction too. And that is incredible. And what does it look like if even though we're searching for a spouse or wherever that we're at in that journey, we get to focus on this chance to be intimate with him so much that we're reproducing. We're being fruitful and multiplying. Okay. So sexuality, it's way bigger than an act of sex. Like, again, we, we, we really narrow the focus, the intention, the heart of the father when he designed us to be sexual beings, to, to be intimate, emotionally connected. You know, if you look at Mary and Joseph when she was pregnant with Jesus, it says they abstained from sexual relations until Jesus was born. Imagine the heart connection, the emotional connection, the relationship they had to weather that storm when all those accusations and, and probably things floating around the rumor mill of Nazareth at that time. Like, if you think about this, it was this amazing thing of heart connection. So it's, sexuality is way bigger than an act of sex or a few minutes of fun. It is intimacy. It's connection. It's relational. It is more than a hookup, and it's more than a swipe right culture. Listen, we, we are entering this, this day and age where technology is taking over, and I can literally get on an app, get on a phone, and have a hookup within an hour. It's, it's absolutely crazy. We're going to get into the history of that, but I believe we've moved into the sexual revolution 2.0. Now, now, here's the deal. So, so we take this thing that God meant for beauty and God meant for good, but just like anything, the enemy can use that and try to bring destruction to it and try to pervert it and try to counterfeit it. So what good sex and sex within the context of what he's created to be was meant to bring people together, meant for a purpose, meant for beauty, meant, meant for beauty, uni, uni. That's like unicorn something. I don't know. That was the word beauty and unity mixed together. So, so anyway, it's this beautiful thing. So now sex isn't this thing that's giving life and this thing that's getting, giving you, you purpose and, and helping. It's now leading to loneliness. Because after that hookup, after that one night, after that, that thing, now you're left abandoned, ashamed, and looking at yourself, do you really love yourself now? So this thing of, of relationships and, and this thing to where God's created this thing. And, and let me just, just start here and, and then we'll, we'll move on to scripture. But here's the deal. Like God created it to be for relationship. Now here's the deal we have to be careful with because we are sexual beings. Now, now here's the other thing. We're not saying like don't avoid it. It's, 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 it's just like, no, it is a beautiful thing within the context of what he's created it to be. So it's not this thing, well, just, just stop those feelings, stop those hormones, stop those emotions. No, you move within the context of what God's saying because it is a gift. Now, now, here's the deal, though. Any relationship, though, that I put ahead of Christ, whether it's outside the context of my marriage or in the context of my marriage, becomes a false idol. The first week we talked about the ecclesia and we talked about people. Listen, people let us down. People are not going to meet my needs. And if they did, there'd be no need for Jesus. So if people met all of my needs and took care of all of my, my feelings and, and added this thing that Jesus, only he can do, then I would put them on a pedestal and I'd always want to serve and be with them. Nicole and I struggled with that. And we still do at times because we're so in love and we're best friends and we always want to be around each other. Now, we do fight. We, we do have days that aren't like that, like last night after ice cold shower. So... 
Let's just say it wasn't a shower together, and I was the one having to take the ice cold shower, and I was not happy. <laughs> I lost my crap. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I lost myself. There are six of us in our home, and our hot water heater's been going out, and we're trying to like prolong it. And she was like shower number four or five going into that thing. And uh, should we take a break and work through this, <laughs> Josh? <laughs> you guys just do your own thing now. Um, so at, at, at any rate, um, what was I saying? Oh, meeting each other's needs. So like we've had to work through this to say like she cannot fulfill my affirmation, my acceptance, my identity, my purpose. Now she adds value to that and she helps get me there. And when if I start believing a lie, she helps get me on track. But God has to provide that. And if we're moving outside the context, including within sexuality, God still has to fulfill that. So we're going to go into the scripture. So... One of the things we need to look at when we're discussing any of this is, do we have the same starting point? Okay, so I want to look at 1 Corinthians 5.12. This is Apostle Paul, um, he, and he's, he's talking uh, to the church of the Corinthians. It says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? So often we in the church get shocked when we see people outside the church doing things we wouldn't do. Well, of course they're not. They're not in the church. So don't, I don't get too offended when I see people outside the church doing things or struggling with things that I wouldn't do because I shouldn't expect them to do that. But it's different when we get in the church. I have other standards, other expectations. So what we're speaking of, we have to start with a certain foundation here. I'm preaching in a church, okay? And so I'm talking to people about things that, that should pertain to them because most of you have declared a faith in Jesus, now, there's something else I need to mention about Scripture. We're operating from the starting point that Scripture is God's inspired word. Okay? Now, you don't have to embrace that to come here, but that's where we're starting. And so, many of the things we're going to point out and say are starting with that beginning point that Scripture is God's inspired word. If that is not your opinion, you're welcome to come here. We just want to invite you on stage to preach. But... I would ask you this, if, that's, if, if you don't hold that as true, where do you get your truth from? If it's just what feels right, what your opinion is at the moment, that changes all the time. People disagree on that all the time. And so we are starting from, from the bottom level. The foundation is that scripture is God's inspired word. Now we can debate on whether we interpret that right. Because let's, we, our, our interpretation is not infallible. We actually could get it wrong sometimes. And when we get more information, we actually understand that's really what the scripture was trying to say. And we want to always be open to hearing other ideas, but we're always starting from the base that scripture is God's word. So you still need to hear us, and if you have other thoughts or ideas where you've pulled the scripture, now we can have a discussion. But if you're not using scripture, we don't even have the same starting point. So it's not really worthwhile for us to talk about beliefs before we even get to the starting point, whether you believe scripture is inspired or not. Yeah, I just I want to speak into that for just a minute because I, I love the fact that like that is truth. The Bible is truth, but I also want to remind us that it is all true. We either believe all of it or none of it. Okay, so it's not like I believe that, but I don't believe that. So the Bible is all true. Okay, we don't get to pick and choose. So all of that. So I just wanted to hit on that. Okay. And then another thing, I guess I'm going to talk about this now. 
Um, this other thing I just recently, I'm reading a book. No, this isn't from the book. Never mind. The, 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 that's another thing. I just was listening to something, and they were speaking about what lens are you looking through. And in the church, this goes along with what Josh was saying. In the church, we're looking through the lens of the word. The word is what we're looking through, right? We're, we're seeing things through the word, and then we're looking at things through that. In the, not in the church, their, their lens is different. They're not looking through the lens of the word and then choosing to be like, I'm doing the opposite of that. The Bible is a lens. And so here's what's happening is that people in the church are like outraged. Why are they? Well, I can't believe they're doing that. The Bible says this. But they don't even have a grid for that because they're not looking through that lens. Right? And so then what happens? Then the church starts to become condemning and judgmental. And we're holding the world to the standard to live by. But they don't have that same standard. And so then what happens is there's a divide that begins to take place. Because now the world doesn't want to come into the church because the church is too judgmental. And then the, the world or the church people are like, well, I can't believe you're doing that. And it just creates this big, huge divide. And, and I just think that, like, that is the tactic of the devil to come in and cause us as people who believe in the truth. And, and honestly, it can come from a very pure place. Of like, we just want righteousness. And why can't we get there? And it can come from a pure place. But then the enemy takes it and perverts it. And then we take it too far. And we start to say, you can't believe that way. You can't do it. Because we're looking at it through the lens of the truth. And so I just, I wanted to speak into that because it, there's this opportunity for grace. And so then what happens when we see through the lens of grace, these people, grace is extended. And now we can begin to think, okay, how can we connect? How can we pull the truth out through connection rather than trying to push away? That was me. I was probably whispering sweet nothings into Nicole's ear, and I muted myself. So uh, here, here's the deal. We, we tell our girls about EGRs. Anybody ever heard that expression in EGR? Very few of you. So I'm going to tell you. Extra grace required. Okay? So you may have, a, how many have an EGR in their life? Like a person that's just extra grace required? How many of you yourself might be an EGR at times? Yes, me. Okay. Me too. So anyway, there was this, this particular individual that, um, that just irritated me. I didn't want to be around them. They were weird. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Uh, until we had her over for dinner one night. And um, then we began to hear her story. We began to hear her, her trauma. We began to hear um, that she was raped. We began to hear that she was beat by her husband. We began to hear these things, and it formed a story that's created her to be who she was. Yeah, her personality might not be fun for me to hang out with, and she was at EGR up to that point. I began to see from her perspective, I began to see the way and why she's wired the way she is. So for me, I've, I've grown up in this church box and I believe this, and then now I'm being exposed, wait, there's these other boxes out there. Now it doesn't mean I'm gonna go jump in that box or I even have to agree with that box, but I can see from this perspective now that I see the story, I see why they were formed, I see they came from a different culture than me. We were in St. Lucia over the summer and uh, their language is different. And my kids thought it was the funniest thing. Their kids were going around saying the S word and the D word, the real ones, the bad ones. And I'm like, and so we began to just joke around because to there, it wasn't a curse word. So we didn't get offended by it. We weren't mad about it. Now we don't let our kids use it in our house as much as they try to joke around about it. We're like, no, no, we're in America now. So at any rate, there's this thing. So when you begin to see where somebody comes from, now you can actually love them. It doesn't mean you agree with them, but you can kind of see where they're coming from and, and still celebrate who they are and who they're called to be rather than stumbling over who they're not. 
Let's get into the word now. Matthew 5, and I'm going to give you a bunch to look up because I want you to do your own word studies. Part of the goal of this series is to provoke you to get into the word, to discover the truth, to get closer to the Lord, to find things, to, to find some mysteries out, to really grow clo- close uh, to what the Father's saying to you. So um, one of those, Matthew 5, 27 through 30, I'm going to focus on the first two verses. I'm going to read the Passion Translation. Brian Simmons, part of our stream, Friends of Friends were. were like one friend away from him, no relation. I think he's super cool, awesome theologian. But his version says this, your ancestors have been taught, never commit adultery. However, so he's changing the paradigm. He's saying, your ancestors, ancestors were taught this, but here's what I'm going to say. If you look with lust in your eyes at the body of a woman who is not your wife, you're already committing adultery in your heart. Now, here's what Brian puts in his footnotes, which is, which is really awesome because that's, that's not just focusing on one thing. It says this. It says, the Aramaic is speaking of more than adultery with a married woman. It uses the word for any sex act outside of marriage. Jesus elevates the standard of righteousness here. He is holy, and when he be- comes to live within the believer, his holiness is the fulfillment of what God requires of us. He's upping the game here. He's saying, you're called to live in righteousness. You're called to live in purity. You're called to live to a different standard. Like when I come in you, you're going to start to look different. Salvation should lead to transformation with Jesus alive in us. should look way different than when before Jesus was in us. So let's go to 1 Corinthians and see what Paul says about it. And I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but 1 Corinthians, if you're taking notes, 6 verses 9 through 20. Okay, 9 through 20, it's going on. The first part says, Surely you must know that people who practice evil cannot possess God's kingdom realm. They cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And it says this, Stop being deceived. People who continue to engage in sexual morality, idolatry, adultery, sexual perversion, homosexuality, fraud, greed, drunkenness, verbal abuse, extortion, these will not inherit God's kingdom realm. Go ahead. So you look down that list, and a lot of us will look at and say, well, you'll notice the things that you don't do. But there are a lot of things in there that you've probably caught yourself doing. And one thing I want to point out is when it says the kingdom of God, it's not necessarily talking about going to heaven when you die. Jesus says the kingdom is here and now. And so when you're involved in these things, you don't experience the fullness of the kingdom today. You don't get to walk in the, the fullness of what God has for you today. I just want to point that out because I, because I think a lot of times the, the, the idea of kingdom, we forget that Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here and now. And so part of our job as Christians is to bring the kingdom wherever we are. And part of the thing that I think, and I realize this could offend both liberals and conservatives. So we're, we're, I guess we're doing, going the right way. That's what Jesus did. But... <laughs> But, um, you know, part of what we want to look at is, is kingdom happening and what things might stop kingdom in our lives? Here's the cool thing. It says the kingdom of God is, 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 is at hand, which means it's an invitation that is within reach. We can actually reach it. Kingdom is not just heaven as a destination. Kingdom is an invitation to a lifestyle here on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. So, so the kingdom is actually this present day reality that we get to walk in with Christ in us, the hope of glory. So continuing on in that verse, it goes through that whole list, study it. But then we get to verse 12. It says, it's true that our freedom allows us to do anything, but that doesn't mean that everything we do is good for us. I'm free to choose, but if I choose to never be, in, but I choose to never be enslaved by anything. It's like, we can choose to do anything. We're free to do as we please, 
but not everything is beneficial. Paul's saying this. So we have this choice in our moral character and our sexuality. We have all these choices to sin or not sin or, or to be this or self-control or not. We have these choices. Now, some are way more difficult than others. Some are way deeper than others. But here's the deal. But it doesn't mean everything's beneficial. As we move, there's another verse. Write it down. I'm not going to read it. Romans 13, 14. He's telling, Paul's telling all the different churches some of the same stuff over and over and over. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 5. It says this. And now, beloved brothers and sisters, since you have been mentored by us with respect to living for God and pleasing him, I appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus with this request. Keep faithfully growing through our teachings even more and more. That's what we're trying to do through this series. Let's grow. Let's grow in the word. Let's grow in spirit. Let's grow in love. Let's grow in the Lord. And then it says, for you already know the instructions we've shared with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to remind him again. God's will is for you to be set apart for him in holiness that you keep yourselves unpolluted from sexual defilement. It goes on. Yes, each of you must guard your sexual purity with holiness and dignity, not yielding to lustful passions like those who don't know God. We are reaching a culture. We are in a culture that is this thing of like, let's feel good. Let's get it now. I want it now. There's this thing about like swipe right kind of deal. And there's this thing to where, how good is it? I want it now. How good is it going to feel? How good is it going to be? And it's this culture of, of need it now, the right now culture. So it's this thing of whatever's easy. What's the easiest way to that? And, and the, the thing is, it's like, no, we need to protect ourselves and, and, and yield and, and really go after God. And anything that we're doing should be, should be glorifying God. I kind of look at it as this point. I'm a vessel. And he's promised me that he'll put so much into me that my cup will overflow. But if I've got other junk entering into that cup, then that stuff's actually going to overflow when I'm squeezed. It's the fruits of the Spirit. If I want to be so full of him, I don't have room for much other things. And anything that takes the place of him is an idol in my life, whether that's sex, lust, pornography, money, greed, arrogance. There's other things that make us up. Do you have something else? Okay, let's go into the history, okay? We're going to breeze through this. There's a lot of stuff in here, but let me just put this, put this out there. For nearly 2,000 years, the culture was influenced by the church. Society, issues, government, decisions, beliefs, doctrines were hugely influenced by the church. Okay? Now, what happened was then the science revolution came. And now, much of our culture and society is now being influenced by science. So here's, here's the astonishing thing and the appalling thing and honestly, the frustrating thing as a pastor. So now, after about six decades of science revolution and the sexual revolution taking place, now our church statistics and the world statistics are the same in that of divorce, pornography rates, bankruptcy, all these things. It's the same. It's the same in the church as it is out of the church. That's wrong. So really, what we're, we've swung the other pendulum to say it used to be the church. The church was the influence in architecture, design, craftsmanship, art. They commissioned all the early art, the great art, the Sistine Chapel, these things. We got to hurry. It's all these things about what art has done and, and, and how the church was the influencer. Now, here's what happened. The same thing in sex, sexuality. The church was the early influencers. Now, we had some jacked up things, though. And that's why so much of sex and sexuality now is taboo, weird, scary, confusing. It's because, first off, we start with Augustine of Hippo. 
Several hundreds of years ago, he formed monastic communities. He was predestination, purgatory, perpetual virginity of Mary. He had a theory that a man isn't able to look at a woman and a woman look at a man without lust in his or her eyes. The original sin was thought to be a man and a woman couldn't look at each other without that lust. Therefore, their union, Adam and Eve's union, was made out of a lustful way with lust in their eyes, which was against God's law. Therefore, all the offspring were born from this sin of lust and then procreated in creation on the earth. That was Augustine of Hippos, uh, Augustine's, that was his viewpoint, that was his theories. Now then we get to Jerome. Jerome lived a, a strictly aesthetic life, abstaining from exercise, employment, and married sex. He had set values for women, 100 for a virgin, 60 for widows, 30 for married women. Married sex was just one notch above fornication. The early churches and denominations exclusively used his works in making decrees on how the church should abstain from sexuality at all times. Used his doctrine to write how the church should abstain from sex on. Listen to this, okay? Married couples especially, listen up. Abstain from sex on Thursdays because of Christ's arrest. Fridays because of his crucifixion, Saturdays because Blessed Virgin Mary, Sundays for the saints that have gone on before us, some Wednesdays, 40 days surrounding Easter, 40 days surrounding the Pentecost, all apostles' dates, all festivals and holidays, and any time a woman's unclean. Good luck hitting that gestation period, and within those small windows of 44 days a year, to procreate and do what God gave us the gift to do. Martin Luther, who did he write his Reformation doctrine after? Jerome and Augustine. Who did John Calvin then use? Luther, Augustine, and Jerome. Now here's the deal. That's why our viewpoints and society has changed. Much of how we view sex and sexuality is because they adopted these things from great theologians, great founding fathers of Christianity, Protestant Christianity, you know, um, and, uh, evangelical Christianity. These were fathers. I don't want to diminish that. I don't want to disrespect them, but we had some jacked up views on sexuality. And I believe it's time that we break that and we quit being scared of sex, confused about it, and any of avoid the discussions of it. Yeah. Then, amen. Gotta hurry. And here around the 1960s, sexual revolution took place. Hugh Hefner was one of the fathers of the movement to pervert sex and objectify women. Now, I want to tell you a piece of history of the founding father of the sexual revolution of Hugh Hefner. He grew up in a conservative Methodist home, a very good home, whose parents refused to show affirmation to him and each other and any affection. They would not hug him or hug each other in front of him. Hugh Hefner was longing for affection, longing for affirmation, longing for physical touch, and he went searching for it, and he found it, and then he perverted it, now known as the sexual revolution. I believe this, through technology, and through Tinder, and through access, and through media, and through the portrayal of how marketing campaigns are using this against what God's intention was, we are in the sexual revolution 2.0. I think it's changing culture. I think, I think Josh has more on the culture. Basically, if you look at culture today, there are about three different camps that you'll see how sexuality is portrayed. And um, if you look at how it was portrayed to you, you usually fit into one of these camps. Okay, so one of them is the conflicted. Conflicted basically means we'll say it's a good thing, but we just never say anything about it. So it's, it's a great thing, but it's all hidden. It's kind of a mystery you have to figure out on your own, but, but it's good. You just need to know that it's good. That's all you get to know, all right? 
The, the second one is the silent. Basically, that means you don't say anything about it. Nobody talks about it. Hopefully, you'll find out in the gutter at some point, and you get all the information you need from there. But nobody says anything about it, and a kid grows up in that, and they are trying to find out for themselves. And if they ask questions, we just don't talk about it. Okay? And then um, the, the third one is the saturated, the oversaturated, which is basically what we see when we look at a lot of movies and those things. It is just so sexualized. Sex is, is shown everywhere and everything, and it's just so overdone. You can't get away from it. You can't watch a kid's movie without some kind of innuendo being referred to. The way we look at scripture, though, there are basically three purposes of, of sex and sexuality. Okay? You don't have to fulfill all three of these at the same time, but these are important things. One is procreation. Okay? In Genesis, it says, be fruitful and multiply. That is one of the purposes of, of sex and sexuality, is to populate the earth, that perpetuate human life. Okay? But another one is actually bonding. When it says the two shall become one flesh, in Genesis um, 2, it, it talks about um, two people coming together to be, be one. There's some kind of a bond that happens. It's even greater than we can articulate. But it's not just a physical act. There's something that happens. Not the two become one that they share, one brain. But something happens. The two people are better when they come together in marriage, in sexuality and marriage, that there's something that they would not be alone. It, can be, it becomes multiplied in that. And then the third thing is there's a certain beauty and mystery to sex and sexuality. In the Psalms, it talks about there's just a mystery of the way of a man with a woman. And um, it's kind of like when you tell a prepubescent child about sex and sexuality, they can understand the information you're giving them, but they can't understand the complete content of it because there's something deeper, there's something even spiritual about it that, that we can't even necessarily completely articulate with words, but there's a beauty and a spiritual side to it. So as we go and we expand in the future sessions, those are some of the things that we're gonna look at at how scripture uh, portrays it. Okay, we have given you the definition and what sexuality is. Um, I've got a story to close with, but we're gonna let the hosses leave as we close. And uh, we're going to celebrate Caleb today. And we'll bring him up in the church. His Eagle Scout project was actually a project he did at the church here. So um, we're, we want to honor him in the future weeks and recognize that. But we love you. We'll see you in a little while. Thank you, Josh. Okay, so. twelve twenty nine, buddy. Look at that. We were, we, we, one of the reasons we went to the Magnolia um, place and, and the um, dynasty there was uh, that one of our favorite bands was playing. Many of you here would never have heard of them. They're called Johnny Swim. Uh, they are uh, a Christian believers who is a couple. They're mo they used to start off as a duet, a uh, very eclectic folk kind of deal. We just love them. We're like... We're going to Madison Square Garden in June on our anniversary to see them. This is our, our second time we've seen them. We went all the way to Texas, but it was kind of like the perfect combo. Our favorite band with some pretty amazing people at a pretty amazing place. Let's go. We've got miles. We've got hotel points. Free trip. We're in. So, so at any rate, we were at the concert that night, and um, it, it, it's, it's, they started to sing prophetically. And one of the things that, um, what's her name? Amanda, Amanda began to sing. She began to speak this prophetic thing. Now, three to 4,000 people there and, um, and from all walks of life, not all believers. Um, so she begins to say, if we just touch the hem of his garment, we'll be healed. 
And she begins to just sing this out to the crowd and to the whole place. And who knows how much media that's getting, right? It's going to air on their show eventually. So anyway, she's singing out this thing. If we just touch the hem of his garment, we'll be healed. Just touch the hem of his garment. And it's this invitation. So I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm just a, a little while ago and I'm thinking, man, here's the deal about that story. And, and there's so many amazing stories in the Bible about Jesus encountering women like well, the value he puts on women and the value that, that he gave and put entrusted Mary with himself, right? She's not tapping me yet, so. Here's the thing. I, I think there's three key stories, and we'll end with that one in a minute. But at one point, he's meeting at a well with a woman who's, who's an outcast. And she had been married five times. Here's the deal. She had been searching for men to meet her needs. And Jesus is sitting there saying, not condemning her for the previous marriages, not condemning her for divorces or separations or whatever, not, not judging her, not pushing her away. He's like, but you've been longing for something and my water will quench all of your need. The other thing is there's a woman that's caught in adultery. Now, I don't know about you, but adultery requires two people to be involved for it to be adultery. But only the woman was present when they're, when they're wanting to cast stones at her. And Jesus says, he who's without the, the, the sin or blemish cast the first stone. And they begin to disappear and kind of back up. He gets in the ground, writes in the dirt. And, and, and it's not a matter of, of what he wrote. It's he's getting to her level. He's catching her eyes of shame, lifting them up so that she can be healed. And the shame's gone. He says, don't ever do that again. Now, here's the deal. The woman was caught because I feel she represented the bride who's sleeping around and putting false idols and putting stuff above Jesus. And Jesus is a jealous God. And he only wants to be served and loved himself as, as all. Here's the third one is, is the woman with, with the hem of the garment. So she begins to sing this that night. And I'm just sitting here last service just thinking of this as Josh was talking at one point. It was 12 years of bleeding. She had tried every doctor, had used all of her money to, to get help and nothing helped. She was unclean. She stunk. And she's pushing through a crowd to get to Jesus, just, just part of his garment, just part, a thread. If he could just touch a thread, then she'd be healed. Now, here's the deal. I believe this through the sexual revolution, through the theologians, and through everything we've presented today. We have been a church, a bride, a body of believers, holistically, worldwide, stuck in a menstrual cycle, not reproducing, and we just need healing. That was the thing. She was stuck in a menstrual cycle. We were, the first thing God commanded us was be fruitful, multiply. We're so hung up on these things and we're getting these misconceptions and these untruths and all this stuff and this influence that we're stuck in a menstrual cycle, not walking out the divinity and the, the design nature that God's created us for. And I believe today, if we just touch the hem of his garment, we'll be healed. I just have this belief that God's so good and he's so powerful, even in this little church in Tip City, that if we just touch the hem of his garment through intercession, maybe our nation will be healed of the sexual confusion. Maybe our schools will be healed. Maybe this, this generation will be healed and they'll get the download of what God's intention for sexuality was. Just have this belief. Nicole, she, she says this about intercession. Would you like to say it on behalf of yourself or want me to say it? <laughs> I'm speaking for you right now. You're right next to me. So intercession is going on behalf of others who can't, don't know how, or won't. And that's how I want to end service today. I would love to pray for I've got some specific things we'd love to pray for. 
And I just believe this. If we just reach up and touch the hem of his garment on this issue that's dividing so many, that's dividing a nation, that's dividing churches, that's dividing denominations, just maybe I believe that he will heal us and he'll give us the wisdom and the truth and love of what sexuality really is. So stand with me. The first thing I'd love to go over is this next generation. The blessing about Upper Room is we have tons of millennials that go here. Tons of millennials that are connected here. We made that cut off too, baby. Woo! So, so here's the deal. We also have a lot of young people. And, and I, I just, there's this verse in the Bible. And it's 1 Timothy 4.12. And it's just a fitting. It was what, when we were youth pastors here, it was our theme verse for our youth. And all you old youth that were stuck with us during those first early years. You're amazing. And they'll remember this. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But it says this. It says, be the example. And it says, for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. And I believe this. I believe we should pray for a generation that's going to encounter the love of a father, the power of the spirit, and the goodness of Jesus. They're going to know who they are and whose they are. And they're going to have the divine design definition of what sexuality is.